Jana. So have you signed up yet, Jana, for the blood drive? Have you actually signed up? Have you? No, have you? Okay, 9.30? Me too. We did not plan this, but we're actually both signed up at 9.30 because I was going to say, if you haven't signed up yet and you want to sign up, Jana and I will race you to see who can give the pint of blood the fastest starting at 9.30. But the other great thing about signing up early is that when you sign up early, you have the full choice of the cookies and juice, right? It's all there still. Hasn't been picked through. So uh, there's still a couple of spots left, but I do hope that you'll sign up, join us, and, uh, and be part of uh, that great event next Sunday. It's great to see all of you today. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming. Today we're continuing our four-week teaching series entitled Passages, uh, where we are looking together at passages from Scripture that have shaped and continue to shape uh, my own formation journey over the years. Uh, and each one of these texts highlights something that, that I think is foundational to God's ongoing process of shaping our hearts after his own. And my prayer is that what emerges from these texts might be as sticky and as transforma- transformational for you as it has been for me. Uh, last week, we looked together at Acts chapter 20 and uh, the story of Eutychus whose experience, uh, falling asleep during Paul's endless sermon, falling out the window, and then being resurrected by Paul, that experience we saw last time highlighted the importance for us of showing up, right? reminding us of that foundational truth that God works when we simply show up. This morning, we're going to look at another passage, this time from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, which over the years has come to, be, come to be very dear to my heart for a number of different reasons. And today's passage is one that reminds us that God's process of shaping our hearts after his requires that we be present. God's process of shaping our hearts after his requires that we be present. If you'd like to join me in the scriptures this morning, you can turn or tap your way to Mark chapter 5, which will be our text for today. As always, The scriptures will be on the screens behind me here in the auditorium and also out in the courtyard if you would like to follow along there as well. And as we pick up the action this morning here in Mark chapter 5, Jesus was just in the region of the Gerasenes, which is located on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, where he healed a man who, who had been possessed by many demons. And now he has just crossed back over to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, where a large crowd of people has gathered around him as he's gotten off of the boat. And it's there that Jesus meets a synagogue leader named Jairus. Mark chapter 5, verse 23 says that he, Jairus, pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And so Jesus is, Jesus is approached here by this synagogue leader who is desperate to get help for his daughter. And so Jesus agrees to go with him to his home. And it's here with Jesus and Jairus navigating their way through this crowd of people that, that Mark says is literally pressing up against them that the story suddenly changes gears. Verse 25 of Mark 5 says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
Now, this particular narrative move that Mark makes here is something that we see frequently over the course of his gospel. In fact, Mark uses this storytelling tactic so often that it has a name. It's called the Markin sandwich. And, uh, and that term is used to describe the way that Mark will sandwich a story in the middle of another story that he's already started. And so the original story in this interest, the story about the synagogue leader Jairus, functions like the two pieces of bread with another story then in between. And incidentally, it's precisely this kind of thing that, that's why I love Mark's gospel. Right? There is just so much thought and so much intentionality in the way that Mark tells these stories that, that enhances them in a really meaningful way. Right? And it's such a great reminder for us of the treasure that we have in the scriptures, right? how much there is for us to experience in these texts on so many different levels. Right? And so right in the middle of this story about Jairus, right as it's getting underway, as Jesus is on his way to his house to heal his daughter, Mark suddenly introduces us to a woman who was there among the crowd who was also in a desperate situation. This incidentally is one of the ways that these Mark and sandwiches function. There's always a tie between them that creates a parallel to one another. And here it's the desperation that each of these individuals is facing. And this woman had suffered from a menstrual disorder for 12 years. And Mark says that she had gone to every doctor and incurred every expense, but nothing had helped. In fact, verse 26 says that despite all of her efforts, instead of getting better, she actually grew worse. And of course, beyond the, the immense physical suffering that this woman was enduring, According to Jewish law, her condition would have also rendered her ritually impure. In fact, the concern about being ritually contaminated by menstruants was something so significant to the Jews that there was a whole tractate on it in the Mishnah, which is the first major written collection of the Jewish rabbinic teachings. And so this woman had a well-documented issue, well-documented condition that was totally alienating as she would have been regarded as chronically impure, and more than that, anything she touched would have been impure as well. She'd have been isolated from her community as a result. Look with me at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now what the woman does here is both incredibly courageous and incredibly scandalous. And despite the ritual implications of her condition, but she nevertheless makes her way through this crowd that is gathered around Jesus. And remember Mark's description back in verse 24. It was so crowded that the people were literally pressing against one another. And so there's no way that this woman is not touching people as she makes her way through the crowd. Now, something else that we see here that I'm sure was also a result of her condition is how surreptitiously she approaches Jesus. But Mark says that she comes up from behind him just wanting to touch his cloak, right? as if she wants to do this without being noticed at all. And Mark chapter 5, verse 29 says that immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed 
from her suffering. And so as soon as the woman touches Jesus' cloak, her bleeding stops. But notice the way that Mark describes her sense of knowing that she was healed. Mark says that she knew that she was freed from her suffering. Why? Because she felt it in her body. She knew that she was freed from her suffering because she felt it in her body. And so this was a somatic experience for the woman. And interestingly enough, she wasn't the only person who had a somatic experience here. Jesus did as well. Verse 30 says, At once Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answers, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. And so, right, despite all of the things that are going on here, despite the fact that Jesus is on his way to minister to a dying girl, and despite the mass of people who are surrounding him, and despite all of the noise and all of the commotion that undoubtedly would have been a part of that, despite all of those things, Jesus nevertheless is present to himself. And in the midst of all of that chaos and everything that's going on, Jesus feels the power going out of him. And what does Jesus do when he feels that? He stops. He responds. He stops, turns around, and inquires about who touched him. And the disciples can't believe it. Right? Jesus asks them who, who touched him, and they're like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Now, something that Jesus is pretty universally known for is his teaching. Most people, even if they don't identify themselves as followers of Jesus, still consider Jesus to be a great teacher. But what I appreciate even more about Jesus are all of the ways that we see him throughout the course of the Gospels, putting his teaching into practice. Now, Jesus didn't simply teach. Over and over and over again, we see him practice what he taught. Right? He lived and embodied the things that he taught in a truly extraordinary way. And we definitely see that here, I think, in this story. You know, one of the recurring threads through Jesus' longest recorded public teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, is presence. Jesus repeatedly teaches about the importance of focusing on today. We see this in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. We see it in the invitation to see how God's care and his provision surround us right now in the simple things like the grass in the field or the birds in the air. We see it in the way that Jesus roots his command for us not to worry in staying grounded in today. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough troubles of its own, which reveals for us that when that, that worry is exacerbated when we, when we look beyond today. Right? And so there's this definite emphasis throughout Jesus' teaching on the present. A definite emphasis on the right now. Right? A definite sense of immediacy. 
And we really see Jesus practicing that, I think, here in Mark chapter 5. Jesus has this very important future destination, this very important thing that he is on his way to do. He's got plans, and they're already in motion. He's on his way to Jairus' house to attend to his daughter. But amazingly, none of that causes Jesus to lose his rooting in the present. Jesus does not miss what is happening right around him in this crowd of people. And not only does he not miss it, not only is he attuned to it, he stops and prioritizes it. And that is such a difficult thing to do. One of the many things uh, that the time of sheltering in place that we did during the early part of the COVID pandemic really exposed for me uh, was how future-oriented I was. Like how much I relied both on plans that already existed and how much I relied on making plans for the days and weeks and months and years ahead. And that was a, it was a really big adjustment right, to suddenly be living in this world where there were no plans. Right? And it was also a huge exercise for me in being present in the present. And that time really forced me to become familiar with, with all of the nuances of my backyard uh, in a way that I had never had been before. Right? From, the, uh, from the frequent visits of Huey the Hummingbird to the uh, seemingly unpredictable opening and closing of the wild iris flowers. Right? All of those things were quite profound. And of course, you know, I had no idea at that time how God would use that season uh, to prepare me to sit in an even smaller space uh, in a hospital room with my brother for 32 days in Modesto. Right? But those were such formative experiences towards being present in the present. And it is truly amazing how much there is to see and how much there is to discover and how many gifts there are to receive when we are present in the place where God has us right now. And so what might God be inviting you to see and experience right now? That's a great question that I try to ask myself all the time. What is it that God might be inviting me to see and experience in the place that I am right now, in the place that I am in the present? Now, it's also important to notice here in Mark 5 the way that for Jesus, uh, an integral part of being present involves being present to his body. Right? We see for Jesus here that an integral part of being present involves being present to his body. Jesus knew that someone had touched him not because he felt a shove or a tug on his cloak, but because he felt the power going out of his body. He felt that the power had gone out from him. And something that I have been learning a lot about over the last few years now, and something that I've really come to appreciate, is how I actually experience things somatically. Right? How I experience things in the feelings that I have in my body. Uh, that was never something that I had really paid attention to. I was never conditioned to pay any attention to what was happening with my body. But it's actually, I've been learning, a really important part of being present. Right? And so, for example, I've learned that the place where I experience anxiety somatically 
The place where I experience anxiety physically in my body is right here in my throat. And so when I feel my throat tightening, that's something for me to pay attention to. Or when my neck hurts, that's often my body telling me that I'm carrying stress. Even if that's not something that I'm consciously aware of in my mind, that's my body telling me, hey, John, you're stressed. And so that feeling that I, that I get in my body attunes me. It makes me aware of the stress that I'm experiencing. And so the feelings that we feel in our bodies can bring all kinds of awareness to us if we are present to them. And the feelings that we feel in our bodies can bring all kinds of awareness to us if we are present to them. And more importantly, the feelings that we feel in our bodies, if we are present to them, can connect us to God's Spirit. If we're present to the feelings that we feel in our body, that can connect us to God's spirit, right? Because when I feel my throat tightening, or I feel that pain in my neck, it's a reminder for me to slow down. It's a reminder for me to breathe deeply. A reminder for me maybe to place my hand over my heart and center myself in the spirit. And so being present to our bodies can make us present to God himself uh, and all of the ways that his spirit is present with us and moving in us and around us. And that is what happens here with Jesus. His presence to what he felt in his body eventually enabled him to be present to the woman who had touched his cloak. Mark chapter 5, verse 33 says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus' interaction with the woman here powerfully reminds us that there is so much more to this story than her being physically healed. Jesus' affirmation, his, his confirmation of the very thing that the woman had felt herself. Remember back there, Mark described her that she felt that she was freed from her suffering. Jesus affirms that very thing here in this verse. That restores her in a more significant, holistic way. It restores her, not just that physical sense of what she's experienced, but it also restores her to community. Because Jesus stopped, because he was present to her, her healing was now seen and acknowledged and recognized publicly. Had she simply snuck away, the fact that she was now ritually pure would not have been known. So, just like any good Mark and Sandwich, from here, the narrative returns to the story of Jairus. Jairus is still there, waiting for Jesus to finish what he's doing. His daughter is still at home, and she is ultimately healed after Jesus arrives there. And that highlights something I think that's really important as we think about what it means to be present in the present. And that is that Jesus' prioritization of the present, right, his presence to what was happening in the moment, did not negate the future. Jesus' prioritization of the present did not negate the future. It didn't prevent Jesus from doing the thing that he was on his way to do. And that's a great reminder for us not to miss the present for the future. It'll probably still be there. 
it will probably still be there. You know, back at the beginning of July, I, uh, I took a quick trip to Austin, Texas, because one, what one of my friends wanted for their birthday was to eat brisket at Franklin's Barbecue, uh, which in some circles is considered to be the best barbecue in the universe. Uh, and so my friend uh, rented an Airbnb literally 350 yards from the restaurant and invited some people to come. Uh, and I guess I was feeling extra spontaneous when I got the invitation because I uncharacteristically, impulsively, Pavlovian-like, just went ahead and immediately bought a plane ticket. Uh, I was scheduled to speak that weekend, though, so I made plans to come home a day earlier than everybody else to come home on Saturday so that I could be here on Sunday. But because I was speaking on Sunday, I was planning to do some work on my message on the flight. And I got as far as getting my laptop out after takeoff before I wound up getting into a conversation with the person next to me, right? You know, the classic airplane situation. And for whatever reason, you know, it didn't take long before that person started sharing a lot of their personal story, which included, among other things, the loss of a 25-year-old child a couple of years ago to addiction and some wrestling with God that had understandably accompanied that. But you know, the gifts that this person had received and was able to articulate from just such an unimaginably difficult experience, like the gift of, of a special season of time with the child prior to their passing, the gift of friends who showed love by bringing meals to he and his wife and their daughter, the gifts that were being received from a young child from another marriage that this person was now parenting were so, so lovely. And it was such an amazing conversation, such an honor to listen, such an incredible gift to me. And again, another humbling reminder that there is so much to see, so much to discover, so many gifts to receive when we are present in the place where God has us right now. So may we be present. Amen.